0: Well, good, morning. good morning. I have, and I hope you have, um, enjoyed this uh, refresh series as we've just have gotten already into some things that just seem very relatable. We, looked, we, we found people that are ready for adventure. Um, we've watched as people sense God is doing something that they want to be part of, feeling called by God to engage Him and His plan. Um, we've looked at the priority of worship, and we've looked at people that really believe that um, that God is working in the big in the bigger picture, even when they can't necessarily see it with their eyes. That's that's a good capturing, at least of my feeling for the last oh six months or so. While something's been going, I'm not sure exactly what around us. Right, these things mixed with the the real things, things like. Um, people that are discouraged, right? Things like the physical realities of life competing with the spiritual priorities of our lives, the pressure from our enemies and and people we just don't get along with, right? Starts and restarts with God and uh, his kingdom work, leaders that we can really look up to and want to follow as well as some that, uh, fall short of what God had in mind. It, it sounds a whole lot like uh, the life that you and I are living here. And There are times when we all need to be refreshed, refreshed in our calling, refreshed in our, um, our vision, refreshed in our daily work and our daily lives, and certainly refreshed in our relationship with God. As we move today from the book of Ezra to the book of Nehemiah, <clears throat> I would just remind you that that potential to grow and that potential to be refreshed personally and spiritually, um, they continue. The only question becomes, will we uh, learn the lessons? Right? Will we engage God at that level? Now, today we're going to meet Nehemiah. Ezra, who we just finished the book under his name, he was a priest and he was a scholar. Nehemiah, we read here in chapter one, he was a man in the king's court. Okay? A little bit more of a uh, person with political clout. Someone, as we read through these chapters of Nehemiah and study them, we'll see someone who is a little wiser, perhaps, in the uh, ways of leadership. Now, some scholars refer to these first seven chapters of Nehemiah as Nehemiah's memoirs. So Nehemiah himself is writing these things, even though Ezra is going to put this book together, and we will hear from him actually later in the book of Nehemiah. But either way, they were contemporaries with one another. And and Ezra had been back in Jerusalem at work as a priest, at work as a, a scribe or a scholar in that way. And Nehemiah is going to come to join him. So turn to Nehemiah chapter 1 in your Bibles or in your Bible apps. We'll put up in the most of it up on the screen here for you. And, and we're going to see here in chapter 1 today, right away, that the values and the character of this man Nehemiah, the man that God is going to call into leadership over his people, Israel, when we look at his heart, it's going to be obvious why God chose to use Nehemiah his life, okay? We get the setting from chapter 1, verse 1, where we read, The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa. Okay? Now, Susa is, was located in what is now modern-day Iraq. This is where the Persian kings went to winter. Okay? Later verses are going to identify that 20th year as the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, He was the king when we left off in Ezra at the end of the book here, and it reminds us or calculates for us, 13 years after Ezra went back to Israel, went back to Jerusalem, to Judah, Nehemiah is going to follow, and this is what we read with regard to him. Now Susa, if you think on a broader scale, is also where the events took place with Queen Esther. Okay, when we looked at Mordecai just a few weeks back, we saw that Esther was married to Ahasuerus, is what he's referred to as in Esther. He had another name, and that name was Xerxes. He was Xerxes I. He was actually the father of the king that we are talking about right now here, Artaxerxes. Now, we don't know if Esther and Nehemiah would have been contemporaries or not one of the things we know for sure when we read the book of Esther is because of her bold actions as a follower of God, Nehemiah's parents would have been spared in order to give birth to Nehemiah who's going to rise up to be a great leader in Israel. And so um, we're just thankful for that, right? So, so um, while Nehemiah in Susa, we're going to read here either a brother of his or a relative. We know it was an actual brother or relative comes and brings news from Judah that devastates him. OK, we learn a lot about Nehemiah by his response to that news. And first, we're going to learn both about him and application for ourselves to answer a question. What do you do when your heart is broken? Okay? When your heart is broken in Nehemiah chapter one, pick up with me in verse two. It says, Han and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Now, on the, just on the practical informational side of things, there were like two parts to that report that Hannah and I gives to Nehemiah. And the first part was talking about the people, about the people that were in great trouble, he says, and the disgrace that had um, fallen the people of Jerusalem. We're going to learn by the time we get to chapter 5 in this book that there's an economic crisis going on. And it's led to a famine. As a part of that famine, just to survive, some of the Israelites were having to sell themselves or their children into slavery. And, and the heart—the part that will just break your heart is they were selling themselves to other Jewish people in that way. And Nehemiah is going to address that later on. But the people we're a mess. And when you think about what we read in Ezra, remember all the enemies who were afraid for God's people to move in, for God to rebuild that temple, to rebuild that city, for God to become great again? All those people who watched as now God's people are back in Jerusalem and in the surrounding towns in Judah. And look what's happened. Nothing. Nothing. I think Judah seemed pretty prophetic to God's enemies at that time and as a result, perhaps God did too. Now the second part had to do with the city. The gates or the, the walls were destroyed and the gates had been burned by fire. So, so if we capture the picture right here, 13 years after Ezra had gone back, Nehemiah gets this report that says the city of God and the people of God and the nation of God are still in disarray or perhaps in disarray once again we don't know which for sure either way it broke the heart of Nehemiah his response in verse 4 when I heard these things I sat down and I wept for days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed remember last week When I said, if you ever find yourself caring about people spiritually, you're going to find that your heart's going to get broken. That's what's happening here with Nehemiah. We saw it happen with Ezra, King David, Jesus himself brought to tears, wept because of what's happening in people's lives. Now, it's not that leaders are the only ones whose hearts get broken. It just has to do with what is it that breaks your heart? Bob Pierce was the founder of of World Vision. And he used to pray this prayer throughout his life. He said, God, may my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. Now, that's a beautiful prayer, but it's a dangerous prayer because you know there are so many things in our world that break the heart of God. Now... I don't know if this was new news to Nehemiah or not. Did he not know about the broken down walls? Did he, did he not know about the challenging times that were happening back in Jerusalem? Was he just catching up on a, on a current reality that, that, that had been that way for a long time? I mean, after all, it, a lot of people had gone back from, from Babylon to Jerusalem at this point. And it happened over a lot of years, so I'm not sure um, that it was actually something new to him. I mean, his reaction to this wouldn't lead you to believe that somehow he was disconnected or detached, right? He hears the news and immediately his heart breaks. So some believe that actually it's not that it was new news to him, just that it hit him in a new way. For some reason, he was deeply moved by Um, this because god was about to use him because god has put his hand on nehemiah because of his heart because of his love for god because of his love for god's people god was about to use him so he stirred something inside of him so that he could create in um, in nehemiah this this catalyst for change i mean you can relate to that right Probably none of you are like this, but I am like this at times. I have witnesses that will verify that sometimes, like, I just ignore a problem, okay? And I hope it goes away, or that it fixes itself until I can't ignore it any longer, which is right going at about probably 99% of the time, that it doesn't work out, that it just goes away, right? And you have to wade into the mess. I mean, could it be that that was the case with Nehemiah? That's reasonable to think. I mean, think about you. Like you know something's not right, but what happens the first time you see that child being mistreated? What happens when you witness um, like that marriage becoming combative? What happens when you're employed by the company that all of a sudden seems to not just fade, but maybe even charge into some unethical business practices, and all of a sudden, everything changes because we see things at a different level, right? We catch a different glimpse. We actually um, slow down (laughs) to think about the implications of of what's going on before our eyes because we experience things at a new level, either of information or interaction, and all of a sudden, just like, pow, we're compelled to act. We see it in a different way because it crushes our heart. Minimally, I think that's what's going on with Nehemiah. And when his heart was crushed by the news, well, he wept, and he mourned, and he fasted, and he prayed. He didn't just, like, experience sympathy for their plight. Oh, that's too bad. It's like he was going through that, that same suffering with them. And he turned to God in the depth of his brokenness because he knew what you and I know. And that is that oftentimes God is the only one who could change the situation. But by moving that way in prayer and watching his heart turned, he was actually submitting himself and his life and his future actions to God. Like when we are God's servants, prayer puts our life into play because when we pray, oftentimes we begin to see things like God sees things and it moves us to actions. Now, I know that for some people, prayer is, is just awkward, right? For others, it, it's more uh, of a ritual, Some people see prayer as something to be avoided because it's a mystery to them. And they think that that it's something they need to be taught, so they just avoid it. But I think so much that prayer is just an, an honest conversation with our Father, where we connect our hearts to His heart. And we submit what we're seeing and feeling and experiencing to God Himself, So when Nehemiah's heart was broken, he prayed. And out of his prayer came a strategy for bringing about change. God, what do you want me to do? Have you ever prayed that? And sometimes we have this sense, God say, this is what I want you to do. And that's what's going on with Nehemiah. Now listen to his prayer that lasted over days. We don't know exactly all the days and what it said, but this is what he captures for us about his prayer, beginning in verse 5 of chapter 1. He says, Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you night and day for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. you have, we have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave to your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Now, if you're not paying attention or thinking correctly, you're going to miss it here that Nehemiah is actually a man of action. Some people would look at that and on the surface, it looks like he just sat in the citadel and grieved. But what was happening is that Nehemiah sprang to action by going directly to God through prayer. It wasn't a passive. It wasn't a giving up. That's how he actively pursued God in this way. Listen, we're struggling when we feel paralyzed by the things going on around us or devastated by the weight of the things that are happening in the lives of the people that we care about, often the most effective thing that we can do as an action is to go to God in prayer and to seek his will and to seek his wisdom and to seek his intervention. And notice that unlike many of us who just kind of, Dash through life in short bursts. It's important to remember there in, in those first few verses that Nehemiah, like he prayed and he fasted, it says, for days until he had an answer, until God let him know what he needed to do. I like what Mark Roberts says about this. He says, Prayer is the place to process God's work in our hearts, it's where we discover. And clarify God's call upon our life. Prayer provides the only sure foundation for our lives and for our leadership. So in his prayer, he begins by acknowledging God's complete faithfulness and his sovereignty or his control over the activities of men. And then notice the progression. Like he prays and he acknowledges the, the, the sin of the nation of which he's a part and the sin of the family to which he belongs and then his own sin. Okay? He was a part of the problem and he owns that and understands that and that he wasn't completely surrendered in his life to God's will and to God's holiness. And then I love how Nehemiah begins to ask God to act on the promises that he's already made. He wasn't accusing God of forgetting the nation. He wasn't accusing God of forgetting his promises. He said, God, you've made a promise. Now would be a great time for you to act on that promise. Now would be a great time for you to fulfill that promise to your people We are in desperate need of you. He's asking God to act now. He's claiming God's faithfulness but not the people's nor his own worthiness. God, not because of our character, but because of your character. Not because of our actions, but because of your promises. Not because we're all that great, but because you are all that great. Would you please move on our behalf? Can you see the value of knowing God? The value of knowing his character. The value of knowing his word and knowing his promises so you can call on them. Nehemiah leaned into God and what he knew about God, to his promises concerning his people. Because he knew. Because he knew the scriptures. He knew how God felt about this situation and what he'd promised to do. Listen, when we know God, and when you and I understand these things, our strategy in dealing with the difficulties of life and our resources for solving life's complex issues and problems, they're expanded exponentially when we tap into the character and the will and the power of God through prayer. All of us as people go through struggles. We all go through difficulties. But how much more resourced am I as a child of God with the word of god and the spirit of god living in me than the person who might sit next to me that has no spirit of god in them no knowledge of the word of god no relationship with their heavenly father our lives ought to stand out because we are children of god that's part of what broke the heart of nehemiah was these were god's children and they sat here in despair sometimes we just you got to ask yourself are, are you tired of going it alone I mean, are you just frustrated by your lack of ability to resolve your issues? Do you find yourself weary from living in the midst of ongoing brokenness? Perhaps it's God's child. It's time to invite your Father, your Heavenly Father, into your ongoing brokenness nehemiah did and it was about to not only change his life it was going to change his world that he lived in so before we close this chapter and move forward i want to draw your attention to one last piece of what we read in chapter 11 at the end kind of after all the paragraph in your bible you're going to find one short sentence and it leads us to ask as a follower of jesus who are you who are you? Let's talk about that for just a minute. Nehemiah says in chapter 1, verse 11, he says, I was cupbearer to the king. Now, a cupbearer you might also call a food taster. In those days, one of the um, most often used ways to assassinate a ruler like King Artaxerxes would be to poison him, to bribe his official or his um, servant. And let poison go into him, he's gone, now we're going to bring our guy in, type of a thing. So it was a place where Nehemiah had a lot of trust by Artaxerxes, this king. It also was a place where he would have been set up as um, comfortable and wealthy and influential for taking on that role and that risk. And listen, it's not wrong, Nehemiah wasn't wrong or sinful for being successful. He wasn't wrong or sinful for enjoying a life of comfort in the king's court. In fact, I would argue that God is the one who put him there. And that like Esther, who lived a generation before him, that he was put there for a purpose. Remember when Mordecai approached Esther about what he was convicted that God had put her in that place to do? He said, perhaps God has put you here for such a time as this. I think Nehemiah rose to that level of trust, rose to that level of prosperity, rose to that position in the kingdom for such a time as this because his position afforded him the opportunity to have a, not just confidential, but a confident conversation with the king. And he knew that, And it grew out of his prayers. But did you catch there in verse 11 that he realizes God's about to do something and this could get a little bit dicey? He says, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. We realize what he realized, that his prayer and fasting had led him to put his life into play and to do that, he was going to have to have a conversation with his boss. <laughs> Yet isn't it special that in his success, in Nehemiah's comfort, that he refers to himself there in verse 11 as God's servant. Okay? Now the reality was that he served a human king. But the greater reality is that he really only served One true master, God Himself. Because this was true, He is willing to leave the comforts of Susa to pursue God's calling back in Jerusalem. (coughs) Excuse me. In January of 1995, uh, J. Robert Ashcroft was close to death, a couple days at the most to live, and yet he wanted to hang on to see his son, John Ashcroft sworn in as a U.S. senator. Now, this happened back when we lived in Missouri, and both of these men were from Missouri. And so we watched this play out, and the night before the swearing-in was to happen, there was a small gathering uh, of family and friends. And J. Robert Ashcroft, the father, asked his son John, who also played the piano, to play a song so that they could all sing along. And he asked him specifically to to play the song with the words, we are standing on holy ground. And after the song, his father, the older gentleman who was just trying to hang on long enough to hear his son sworn in as a senator, said, John, your son, I want you to know, son, that even Washington can be holy ground. And after the song, he said, Son, wherever you hear the voice of God, that ground is sanctified. It's sanctified. It's a place where God can call you to his highest and his best. And wherever you are in your vocation, if Jesus is Lord of your life, Wherever you are, can be a holy place of service set apart for God's glory. So what is your calling in life? And a different question, perhaps, from that. How are you making the money to provide the needs for your family? Now, every once in a while, those things come together. We're able to leverage our careers for God's kingdom. But sometimes it doesn't work that easily. And as followers of Jesus, we understand that first and foremost, we're followers of Jesus. And secondarily, we have an occupation. William Carey is known to many as the the founder of modern missions. He was a missionary in India, and he leveraged his life um, to bear incredible and eternally significant fruit for God's kingdom in the nation of India. But before he left England for India. Uh, he, was a, he was a cobbler by trade, a shoe cobbler. He, he fixed shoes. Well, his heart was for God, and his heart was to see God's kingdom expanded. And so he was always talking to people about Jesus and about God's kingdom. And one day, a friend of his came up to carry, and he said, by your going about and talking to people as you do about Jesus all the time, you're neglecting your business. He said, if you only attended to making more shoes than you do, you'd have a better business and could prosper far better than you are. Kerry quickly responded this to his friend. He said, neglecting my business. He said, my business is to extend the kingdom of God. I only cobble shoes to pay the expenses. Who are you? What do you do? What is your calling in life? Not how do you pay the expenses, but really who are you? Do you have a career or occupation? Do you have a calling? Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king, but he was also a servant of God with a life available to God for his purposes. And I hope that however you're paying the bills these days, that you have a life that is available to God for his purposes, whatever the rest of it looks like. Now, I want to draw to a close this morning by taking us back to something I said earlier. Remember that quote from Bob Pierce? Remember the prayer that he said he prayed all his life? May my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. And can I challenge you, maybe even dare you, if necessary, to begin to pray that dangerously bold prayer. May my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. Listen, if you are not right with God and you pray that prayer, your your heart's going to be broken by the fact that God's heart is broken because you're not in relationship with him. And we can help you take care of that today if you want to get right in your relationship with him. And listen, if you want to be used by God, if you want the fruit of your life to be significant, not only in this time, but in years or generations to come, pray that prayer and wait for God to lead you into bearing significant fruit for his kingdom. Life with God can be an adventure if you'll line up your heart with the heart of God. Let's pray together. Father, we are inspired by people who show us what it looks like to live for you, to sacrifice for you, to give their lives for your service, Lord, to put their lives into play. So many different talents or abilities or skills, so many different occupations that we see, but one common thread, a heart that is broken by the things that break your heart and it moves them to action. Lord, may our hearts be broken by the same and may it move us to action. We pray in Jesus name. Amen.